The following is a sermon that was preached at Faith Lutheran Church in Sharpsburg, Georgia. For more information about our church or to hear past sermons from Faith Lutheran, visit georgiafaith.com. Thank you for listening. It had to be the most epic ending to a dinner party in history. If you go to London, St. James Square, house number 16 has a plaque on it to commemorate the spot where it happened. Uh, today, number 16, uh, St. James Square is actually home to the East India Club, but the plaque on the front wall of that building stands as witness to a dinner party thrown by one Mrs. Bain on the night of June 21st, 1815. And everybody who was anybody in London was at that party. And all the talk, all the talk was about Napoleon. See, for over 200 years, he was, or 200 years ago, he was the most feared enemy on the planet. Napoleon Bonaparte had risen from obscurity to being the ruler of much of Europe. This was a man whose uh, strategy and tactics were unmatched. Uh, this is a man who, before the winter of 1812, fought 57 battles and only lost one of them, had never lost a war. After he rose to control France, he began gobbling up other countries. First, he conquered Egypt, then Belgium, then Holland, then Italy, then Austria, then most of Germany, then Poland, then Spain. What if he came for England next? The fear was real. Uh, English parents actually used Bonaparte to scare their children into obedience. You know, they'd be like, misbehave and bony the bogeyman will come and get you. And I even read a, uh, a, a lullaby that English parents sang to their children. Let me read it to you. Baby, baby, naughty baby, hush you squalling thing, I say. Hush your squalling or it may be Bonaparte will pass this way. And then it actually goes on to talk about Bonaparte like tearing people apart. And it makes you question British parenting, perhaps, of the era. But you could not question the fear that they had. The fear was real. I mean, there had been nearly ceaseless war for 20 years. 20 years. 300,000 British men were dead. 300,000. Um, you know, sometimes when the enemy is strong and the fight is long, it can seem a dark night where the next day will never dawn. Have you had nights like that? Or maybe you've had weeks like that. Or even a season of your life where it seems like the darkness is never going to end. Like the, the bad parts are never going to get better. It can feel like, uh, you know, like the darkness is winning. We know what it feels like to have fear and darkness because we live in a broken world. I mean, if you want to see how broken it is, well, yeah, I don't know. Watch the news, walk your community, witness your life. You'll see it's broken. I mean, ever since Adam and Eve chose to serve themselves instead of their creator, they've given all of humanity this heritage of a world broken by sin. And so now we have these great enemies, sin, death, and the devil, and they're waging war against us. And honestly, sometimes it feels like the darkness is winning, like the uh, dawn will never end, and like the day will never break. But 2,000 years ago, the darkness of the Judean sky was pierced by light 
laden with promise. A messenger had come to announce that God was going to keep his ancient proclamation. He would save his people. Listen. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. What could it be? What could this messenger know? What would be good news of great joy? Major Henry Percy had news. Big news but he couldn't get it to where it needed to be. Major Percy, a soldier in the British Army, he was actually an aide-de-camp to the British general, the Duke of Wellington. Uh, the Duke of Wellington was the commander of the Allied armies and the man who had just battled Napoleon at a place called Waterloo. The carnage of the battle was absolutely catastrophic, 50,000 casualties, but the Allies beat Napoleon. They beat Napoleon. In fact, they even captured two of his regimental standards. So these are like 10-foot-tall poles with golden angel, excuse me, golden uh, eagles on top of them and the French tricolor pendants. Um, they captured two of his regimental standards. That was a sure sign of a disastrous and final defeat for Napoleon. So this news, this news of victory had to make it to England, right? Had to let them know that their great enemy had been defeated that a new era of victory had begun. Major Percy, he got the job. Wellington writes a dish, dispatch, gives it to Percy, who takes that message of victory and picks up the two regimental standards, those 10-foot poles with the golden eagles on them, and he makes a run for London. But he just can't quite get there. See, he went down to the coast. He boards a British ship of war to cross the English Channel, but... Halfway across, in the middle of the channel, suddenly the wind dies out, and they don't go anywhere. And the most momentous news of the century was languishing there for want of a breeze. Because remember, this was before the era of steamships. There was no wireless communication. There was uh, no telegraphs or cables. The people in London had no way of knowing what had happened. In fact, while they were languishing there in the doldrums of a windless channel, it had been two full days since the victory, and no one in London knew. No one. He had the biggest news of the century, but he just couldn't quite get there. And here's the thing. If you don't know about the victory, like those folks in London, well, then you're still living in fear of your enemy. You don't know that a radical change has happened unless someone tells you. Well, that's exactly what the angels had shown up in Judea to do to those shepherds, to tell them a radical change had taken place, to give them good news of great joy. They said, today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So Major Percy was carrying those two 10-foot poles on his mad dash to London because, well, they were physical evidence of the message of victory that he was carrying, right? They were tangible proof of a victory that was yet unseen by the people that he would tell. When God announced to the world the beginning of a new era of victory, 
he included physical evidence too, along with this message of victory, right? What did the angels say? They said, go to Bethlehem and see. Go there and you'll see. There's a sign, proof for you to look at. And what is the sign? A baby wrapped in cloths, lying in all places in a manger. Now, why is that the sign, the evidence that God points to? Why is that the proof of a victory that's yet unseen? Well, there's a reason. I mean, there's a reason why, you know, the angelic messengers were glorious, but the child of the message was not. There was a reason why the promises were huge, but the promise keeper was like seven pounds, six ounces or something like that. And the reason was this. The reason is that the infinite God had made himself small. The all-powerful God had made himself weak. The immortal God had made himself human so that he could die. So that he could die. Uh, yeah, this baby was going to grow up into a man who didn't look any more extraordinary than the child in the humble manger until the day when everything changed. On the day when God made small and God made weak and God made human, also showed us that he was God made mortal, the day when the Son of God died on a cross of wood. But that death meant life, meant victory for you and me, because this was God's plan. God made mortal was his plan to take up all of my guilt and all of your sins, and God says, I will punish Jesus instead of you. He will suffer so that you don't have to. He will die so that you can be with me forever in heaven. This was God's plan. And if you want to see proof, go to the manger and see. God made mortal, wrapped in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. This is a sign to you. He is Messiah, the Lord. Now, that is news. That's so good. It just has to be shared. Good news like that. Major Percy knew the feeling, right? He's got the most monumentous news of the century, and he's stuck languishing in the British Channel or in the, in the English Channel for lack of wind. So finally, he makes the decision. They drop a little rowboat. He and four sailors get into the rowboat, and they row for three hours to cover the last 15 miles to the coast. Then he jumps into a carriage, has the 10-foot standards poking out the window, and makes a mad dash for London because he had to find the future King George IV. He had to find the king and tell him the words of victory. Where was the king? Where was the king? Well, well, everybody who was anybody was at a dinner party at Mrs. Bame's house. Number 16, St. James Square. The king uh, was attending the dinner party with his friends. They had finished supper and there was to be dancing. So, the well-to-do and the well-dressed social set of London were lining up for the first dance when suddenly into the room burst Major Percy, his scarlet uniform still stained with the mud and blood of battle. He'd been in those bloody clothes for six days. And in his hands, in his hands was the proof. Those 10-foot-tall poles topped with golden eagles and the French tricolor that was also stained with blood. Pushing his way past the stunned line of dancers, he went before the royal seat. He laid down those eagles at the feet of the king, and he gave the good news of the century. Victory, sire. 
victory. It was the end of 20 years of war. It meant a new era had dawned. I wonder, uh, I wonder what the shepherds thought when they peered over the edge of the manger and they saw the sign that God had given to them. God made weak and God made small and God made mortal, wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. I don't know what they thought, but I know what they did. This news was so good, it just had to be shared. Listen. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Think about this. God went to war for us. And the proof... The proof he laid down, like the eagles and the tricolors, the proof he laid down was God made flesh. This child that was born was not just a child born to us, not just a child born for us. This was the child that was born of us. This is the kind of Savior we have. He was one of us. He descended into our darkness and brokenness. He became one of us that he might lift us up from it. I don't know... Uh, I don't know exactly what went on in the shepherd's heart, but I saw what went on with their words and their deeds. This was good news that had to be shared. You know, in St. James Square, there's a plaque on the house where Mrs. Babe had her dinner party, marking the spot where news of victory created maybe the most epic ending of a dinner party ever. But I tell you what, as great as that victory was, it pales in comparison to the victory announced by the angels that night, greater victory than any amount of Waterloo's, because this is a victory that comes with a promise for you, a promise that your troubles will be transformed one day. One day your hurts will all be healed and your wrongs will all be righted. It's a promise. I don't know what brought you to church or even to this gathering here tonight, Maybe you're somebody who's been to Christmas Eve services every Christmas for your whole life long. Or maybe you're back at church for the first time in a kind of a long time. Or maybe this is the first time you've ever come and you're kind of poking around the edges and wondering what this is all about. Well, I tell you what, here's something that I know about all three of us, all of us who are in here tonight. For whatever reason you've come, we all share one thing. We all came into this house broken in our own unique way. Maybe the brokenness came from bad choices that we've made, or, or maybe it came as no choice of ours at all, just because we're living in a broken world. But regardless, whatever brokenness you're facing, I have news for you tonight. It's good news. The battle for mankind was joined on the day the Son of God entered the human race. God had come to do for you what you could not do for yourselves. And in Jesus, we have a Savior who stood in our shoes, who paid our penalty, who died our death. And that means in Jesus, when he rose from the dead, we have the peace of forgiveness. The best kind of news is good news that's meant for you. Here's the promise promises that one day very soon all of your troubles will be transformed, all of your hurts will be healed, and all of your wrongs will be righted. 
because God the Father laid down his son into Bethlehem's manger and said, Victory. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. God grant it. Merry Christmas.